Today we are finishing up our series on Thessalonians, but we still have a Bible study next week and our kids' church activity next week, which is going to be lots of fun for us to engage with. But to finish with, I wanted to touch on this idea of the day of the Lord. And I find that it can be a very confusing thing. Uh, as people read about this and read about what Paul is saying, you know, they can get really depressed and down and, and figure it out. Um, and so I thought I'd, I'd illuminate a little bit more about that for you, because actually, when you know what's going on, there's a lot of hope. And there's a lot of stuff there that we can put our hopes towards. Because ultimately, dear friends, that's what our faith here is about, isn't it? It's about hope. Everything that we're doing, everything that we are trying to engage with in the wider community, here with the kids, the, the little things that we're doing differently, these are all expressions of the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. So I invite you to come on this journey with me today as we explore this tricky but very interesting topic. Let's pray. Father, I commit this morning to you. I commit this word to you. I ask you, Lord Jesus, be in the midst of us as we open the word together and come to a greater understanding of this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, church, the first thing we need to do, this is an interactive church, yeah? Well done, well done. So do this. Do this. Fingers up, yeah? Okay, now only leave up your left hand. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> Some of you got caught out. Well done. Well done. Now, how did you know? How did you know? Because that's an L. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, you can't do that in Portuguese or Spanish. <laughs> so we just had to learn it growing up. And to this day, my GPS is actually set to Spanish and Portuguese because I have to do this to remember which way is left. So when it says turn left, if I let go of the steering wheel, it could be pretty serious. <laughs> so I still have that that I have to remember. And I was reflecting upon this as I was thinking about this passage because the... The side of the road that you drive on and, you know, these things about left and right, they're deeply cultural, aren't they? We don't even, we don't think about it, do we? We don't, we don't, it's not like if somebody comes along and says, oh, you have to think about this, you don't have to remember that. No, no, we just assume, you just, when someone says to you, turn left, you just assume that they're going to go that way. <laughs> my left, my, or your left. I could have, I could have done that. I could have gone that way and then I could have been like, it's your left, you know, pretending. Because I get confused, I get confused. And I probably didn't get, probably the most confused I ever got was the last time I was driving in Argentina because of course they drive on the other side of the road. So pulling out of driveways was, you know, you say a prayer and you ask the Lord to protect you as you're coming out because there's a very good chance you'll be going out into oncoming traffic because it takes you a second for your brain to go, oh wait, we drive on the other side of the road and trying to remember. So why am I carrying on about this? Because, dear friends, what we're going to tackle today, what we're talking about is something that is deeply, deeply ingrained in Jewish culture. And what we've experienced throughout the book of Thessalonians has been what Paul is trying to educate and bring the Thessalonian church up to speed in understanding the person of Jesus Christ in light of this dynamic. What dynamic is that? It's the dynamic of sin and death versus forgiveness and life. It's this dynamic of the notion that they no longer needed to go to a temple far away and take a sacrifice, a steer, a heifer, or doves, 
Because the sacrifice had been made. It was Jesus on that cross. And that that sacrifice that was made was perfect. Perfect. Now, have you ever considered that? How would you describe something that is perfect? Come on, give me some words. Something that is perfect. Synonyms. Pure. Excellent. Quality. Clean. Yeah? Unblemished. Without fault. See, what Paul was trying to get the people to understand in Thessalonica was that everything that they had been doing up until that moment had faults, was imperfect. But that was okay. Because Christ brought perfection when He died on that cross for our sins. And He didn't make us perfect, but He made us acceptable to God through His perfect sacrifice. Are you with me, church? So when He's saying, have hope, He's not saying have hope because, oh, we're so good. Look at what we do. He's saying have hope because in Christ there is something greater, something far beyond, something awesome, a perfection we cannot comprehend. But yet we are the benefiters of that. We are going to be able to stand in glory because of that sacrifice. And we need to understand that. And we need to recognize that. So, what does he say? He says, you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that the day of the Lord should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. I shared with you a video last week, beautiful little graphic that went into what Thessalonians was about. And what we know is that, unfortunately, in the Thessalonian church, there were these people who were coming along preaching the old covenant, weren't they? They were saying to them, hey, 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 you need to be like good Jewish people. All right? And you need to make sure that you follow all of these rules and blah, 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 blah. But within that, there was an understanding of the day of the Lord before Jesus. What did that look like? Well, we go back, we can go back to the Old Testament and we can see here Joel in the King James Version. Alas, for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is that very hopeful? No, it isn't. It isn't very hopeful. Uh, what about, oh, <gasps> Betty, my little slide is missing. Oh, no, <laughs> that's all right. We have another prophecy from the book of Amos, and it basically says the day of the Lord will be terrible. And with it will come anger and vengeance on the part of the Lord. Is that hopeful? No. It's getting tricky, isn't it? It's getting very tricky. But you see, this is exactly what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. Because this message was being preached to them. And they were basically being told, you know, the day of the Lord is not going to be a good thing. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be judgment. It's going to be vengefulness. And because all you people are Gentiles... All of you are going to be part of that judgment and it's going to be real bad for you guys. But, you know, us Jews who are sitting here talking about it, we'll be fine. But you guys, well, you're stuffed and sorry, you know, and that's the way how they did it. I imagine that sermon would not get a lot of plays in the podcast today, would it? 
But you see, what they didn't understand, and this is part of what Paul was trying to express, was that the story of the day of the Lord is about a point in time where righteousness will be fulfilled. Now, that's what this sermon today is all about. Fulfillment. Can you say that word for me? Ready? One, two, three. Fulfillment. Because we need to recognize that the narrative is incomplete. Regardless of your opinion of the story of Genesis, that narrative of sin entering the world was incomplete. And when is it fulfilled? In Jesus. Paul himself says that Adam was the one, the gateway for sin to enter the world, but then Jesus was the one who defeated sin and death. Now this picture, this idea of fulfillment is what the day of the Lord is actually all about. So I wanted to talk about the Jewish view of time and the way how they think about time. It may be surprising for you to learn that different cultures view time differently. This is the Western view of time. And you see it really well in what? Clocks, calendars, all these timekeeping devices that we keep. You know, as, as a Latino coming over here, and Jacqueline might, might help me out, Western people are obsessed with time. <laughs> there, is, there is this strong, when you travel, when you go to different countries, they'll say, yeah, I'll see you sometime in the afternoon. Now, for some of us, that can be very frustrating, can't it? When, when, when two, three, four, five, the, the afternoon is long. It can be any of those times. But no, in Brazil, that's perfectly fine. You know, I'll see you sometime in the afternoon. You just sit there, have a guaraná and wait. <laughs> you know, that's what you do. That's the way how it is. But this, this is the Western view of time. Linear. Yesterday flows into today. Today will flow into tomorrow. And that's fine. That's fine. But we must acknowledge that other cultures don't see time that way. And Jewish culture is one of those. Now, one of the ways how we describe the Jewish view of time is this, that it is fragmented. And it is sequential. It is based on an event taking place over a period, but then there could be another event that overlaps or that takes place in another period. That period could be before, after, or during. And within the Jewish mindset, that is perfectly fine. Which is great when you're a Bible translator, isn't it? <laughs> because you're trying to figure out when did these things happen? Noah lived for 960 years and yet his lifespan somehow coincides with the lifespan of one of his grandchildren. And it just becomes really convoluted. Well, this is why. Because they're not trying to describe straight linear time. Now you might be thinking... Why are you carrying on about this, Rev? What's this got to do with anything? Because one of the ways that we talk about it is we think about it as cyclical. And this is what I was talking about before. So I want you to think about it as something that occurred in the past being, what was that word that I said before? Fulfillment. Being fulfilled at a point in the future. And that fulfillment not being a case of this has to happen for this cause and effect, but instead about it being a promise that was made and that promise at the point in which it was made becoming something that was, while not yet realized, it was accessible. Do you understand the difference? Let me explain it to you this way. We, as Christians, believe in the Old Covenant. 
Do we come under the Old Covenant? No. We don't have to adhere to the Old Covenant. We don't have to adhere to the 700 and whatever laws of Moses. But we believe in it because we believe that it was for a season and for a reason. Are you with me? And the biggest reason of all was so that generation after generation would come to appreciate that Jesus had to come to what? Fulfill that old covenant. Because it was incomplete. In that fulfillment, we then find ourselves wrapped in the new covenant. The new covenant that says, I may be a sinner. I may have done wrong things. But it doesn't matter because Jesus' love took that law that defined my sin and said that was an incomplete story. It is now complete with Christ on the cross. And from that, that wrapping, that sinful person is launched to be able to reach the realms of glory. I see you nodding your heads. Because I bet for many of you here today, this is your story. As convoluted as this graphic may be, I think it speaks to what we as Christians understand as a non-linear narrative. Because of course, when did God love us? First. When did Christ die for us? 2,000 years ago. But when was I saved? Last week. The work was done at the creation of the world. And yet salvation became relevant and realized in my life at a point long after that. Because the promise that was made was yet accessible, although it was not realized. Isn't that miraculous? Isn't that amazing? It's like God, he made a check. He stamped a check for us. And that check has just been sitting there waiting, waiting for you to bank it. And then all of a sudden, one day you open up your wallet or your, your purse and there it is. And you didn't even know it. You had it all along, dear friends. Isn't that amazing? And here's the absolute best part. Did we earn it? No. This beautiful worship song. We want to introduce it in our Brazilian church and maybe one day we'll translate it and introduce it here in English. Where it says, the love of God, it cannot be bought, though it is worth a great price. It, however, can be won through the redemption in Jesus Christ. The love of Christ, it cannot be bought, though it is worth a great price. But it can be won through redemption in Jesus Christ. What a powerful statement. What a moving statement. To contemplate and consider that Jesus willingly went there for us. So, Rabbi Yehuda Shimon Bereshit Rabach writes, Time begins not as we know it in the physical world, but as an abstraction of the higher world's. Essentially, it is an order. In Hebrew, the word is cedar. A concept that one thing comes in consequence of another. 
This is the form of time which Rabbi Yehuda ben Shimon refers when he asserts that the temporal order, the Seder Zemanim, existed before creation. I wanted to share this with you because I wanted you to know. People have been talking about this for a long time. This technically shouldn't be new. But we forget. We forget because we read the Bible through our own cultural lenses. Whether it's Australian, Latino. I I saw it when I was working in the Aboriginal churches. We read it through our own cultural lenses. And it's wonderful and there is revelation within that. Yes, absolutely. But it is worthy. It is worthy to go back and try and open and understand it. And what's the rabbi describing here? He is describing something which unfortunately he does not believe in himself. Which is that redemption took place all the way back then. And we yet have access to it here in the 21st century. So thinking again about what Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 9 to 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. This is that sinful state. That's why I put it in red. But to receive salvation. This is that redemption that I put in yellow. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are aware, awake, he says, or asleep. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because if we have that salvation, if we are wrapped in that, we live together with him. The Thessalonian church had a lot going for it. It was a church that under persecution retained its fidelity. It was a church that under weird and strange teaching, it was constant and consistent in its understanding of the gospel. But it was a church of people who were new in the faith and who didn't yet quite understand this. Who in our hearts knew and related with the reality of Christ's salvation for us. But when we came to express it, maybe stumbled, maybe struggled. Does that sound familiar (laughs) at all? I want us to be aware that there is a hope in this. In my previous diagram, you saw that that red triangle went up to glory. Jesus himself reminds us. Matthew 27, 42 to 44. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming. He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. See friends, we don't know when that moment of hope being fully realized will be. I like to believe. That yes, Jesus here is definitely talking about his second coming. But I love the fact that I get to experience Christ alive in the people I meet, in the places I go, and in the conversations we have. I love the fact that that hope we can encounter in each other. 
in those moments when our hearts are beating with the heart of Christ and where we can see and look where Christ is going and we can say, you know what? I'm going to go that way. Sister, brother, will you follow? That is the day of the Lord realized. And I want to encourage you to seek and hope for that day. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the invitation we have in Christ our Lord. That, Lord, we don't look to a day of judgment and wrathful vengeance, but instead we look for the full revelation of your love. That we know that, Father God, you will have your righteousness fulfilled against those who have scorned your name, who have done wrong things against your children. But that, Lord, you are a Lord of love. You are a God of love. And that your desire for us here today is to cast our hearts to you and follow you in the ways you are preparing us to go. And so we thank you for these lessons that we have taken from the letters of the Thessalonians. And we pray you, Lord Jesus, continue to journey with us. May we hold these lessons in our hearts. So we thank you for this time we've shared together with this wonderful book. And we pray that we will continue to be open to your teaching and discipleship. In Jesus' precious name, amen.